Star, Hey Rock and Roll, Jump, Boogie and Jive. Oh, hello there. Sorry, you've caught me listening to Shawaddy Waddy albums, listing them from terrible to worst. Welcome to Vincent Jeremy's Overrated Podcast. I'm Jeremy Wall. The very best of, greatest hits, Bay City Rollers, the definitive... Oh, hello! Have we started? Sorry, I was just listing the Bay City Rollers albums from hideous to worst. I'm Vince Staden. On this edition of the Overrated Podcast, we ask, just what exactly are those mysterious extra taxi charges that instantly appear on the meter the moment you climb aboard? Does running through the rain with your shoulders hunched help you keep dry? And if not, why does everyone do it? And just why do we use double-decker buses and football pitches as units of measurement? Hmm. And as we await definitive answers, we feel compelled to pose a few more questions such as as when a woman wafts her hands in front of her teary eyes does the action in any way stop her from crying why do we always pretend to move a bit quicker without actually moving a bit quicker when a door is kept open for us these are certainly head scratches so as we boot up and log into our worldwide google internets to ask jeeves let's play the first song of the show and you can dance for inspiration. Come on. To the groove, which is, I think, my favourite Madonna song. I quite like Papa Don't Preach as well. Yeah, I so like um, Borderline. Borderline's good. Holiday's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I quite like uh, True Blue, all that stuff she did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of lost, you know, track with her when she mutated from the 80s into the 90s and beyond. I can't remember anything, really. Ray of Light, that was all right. Oh, uh, that was sort of... Uh, was that North? no late nineties? That was. Oh, was I think. it? Good yeah. lord! Yeah. And then there was uh, the sexy one she did. Um, Erotica or something. Oh yeah, she's that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, she was always going into the raunch. Was uh, Madonna? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, nineteen eighty-five. I remember this very clearly. I went to see the film, desperately seeking Susan, from which it's taken. Right. In which she's uh, in, and she's very good at it. She's very charming and natural, and. Yeah. Uh, Rosanna Arquette is the uh, main actor. Yeah. 
Um, I can't remember anything about the film. I just remember sort of it was just one of those um, frothy, fluffy New York mm -hmm. stories that used to come out from the eighties. Some of them were really good, like uh, Something Wild by Jonathan Demme and After Hours by Martin Scorsese. Oh yeah, this was in that vein, but a lot more, you yeah. know, uh, family friendly, down market kind of thing. Yeah, um, and the video for it is uh, taken from the film. Right. Um, and uh, it's got loads of pe people. She, she's looking at the personal ads and with a lipstick or something, putting a, a heart round okay. things and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, yeah, she was massive back in the eighties. Uh, you scare scarcely a month would go by without a single by Madonna, if I remember. Yeah, she had a lot of hits, and she was, uh, you know, very. Uh, she was. Um, very sort of visible, wasn't she, in mm. the sort of mid to late eighties? The fashion that she inspired, yeah. the uh, dance and stuff that would come from all her stuff. Vogue, remember that? Yeah, Vogue. I yeah. was just going to say, did, you know, did she she popularise that sort of dance yeah. sort of uh, fad? I can't recall it being around before that. What was what year was Vogue? Was that the nineties as well? Nineteen ninety, I think. Good lord. So yeah. she had quite a sustained long career. Yeah, yeah. Um and she's probably done a lot. Oh she did a terrible version of American Pie. That was the last thing I think of. Yeah, that was a big hit though, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, I oh, think she in the late nineties she had um several number you know, number ones I think. Oh. Really? Yeah, I think American Pie was one of them. No. Uh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. That's bad. <laughs> But I like 80s Madonna a lot. I liked uh, Papa Don't Preach. I yeah. liked uh, Into the Into the Groove's my favourite. If, if I had to pick one, it yeah. would be this from 1985, Into the Groove, which reminds me of that summer of 1985 very strongly. Yeah. Reminds me of being young. Reminds yeah. me of uh, girls wearing frills like she did and you know oh yeah those fingerless gloves and things like that yeah yeah I know, um yeah so so um yeah my like i said you know i i like the 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 record borderline i think that was about a year before is it yeah something like that but um i think into the groove was her first uk number one really what about like a virgin no no that wasn't uh -huh. I, they weren't they were like her early hits they weren't uh, into the groove was her first number one I think in this country right yeah deservedly so I think it's a good song yeah uh, you yeah. can hear that New York production and dance vibe all over it yeah and for a film uh, for a song basically about uh, a woman pleasuring herself at night yeah it's uh, you know you can't <laughs> you can't argue with it really can you no uh, so Madonna then uh, probably the f one of the very first icons I've asked you to rate We've uh, some big bands that we've uh, got rated on our board. Yeah. But this might be one of the very first huge, iconic icons of the 20th, 20th century. Yeah. Um, how do I rate How her? do you rate Madonna? I would, I would rate her um, second rate. Second rate? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Controversial. Yeah. What's your reasoning then? Um, Don't you think any of her materials first rate at all? Yeah, some of it is. Um... I think she sort of went off the boil in the in the sort of mid nineties, probably. Mm. If she'd have sustained the sort of quality of her early career oh. through into the plus all those terrible films. Oh yeah, God! Did oh. she make any? 
After that, did she make another terrible film? She made hundreds of terrible films. Did she? Yeah, she was in a film with uh, her husband at the time, Sean Penn, okay. called Shanghai Surprise, which uh -huh. was a massive flop. Uh, yeah. Um, and a nightmare uh, in production. Right. Um, she made a terrible film with her husband, Guy Ritchie. Right. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's cast away on an island or something. Right, okay. It flopped and <laughs> made no money whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's made a sort of rap. She was in Dick Tracy. Remember Dick Tracy? Yeah. Uh, with Warren, she went out with Warren Beatty for a bit. Okay. Who, uh, yeah, who didn't? <laughs> I went out with Warren Beatty for a bit. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I, I hear you're going out with him oh, right now, aren't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and they made um, a comic book version of the comic book hero Dick Tracy. Do you remember yeah. that? It's got all those famous actors in makeup, you know, Al Pacino and Oh yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And she plays um one of the mole, you know, a gangster's mole. Is that a terrible film? It's a, it's not a terrible film, it's just not a very good one. It could right. be a lot better. I know that it was uh pretty well hyped at the time yeah. when it came out. Yeah. yeah, and probably flopped. Yeah, <laughs> so if she'd have sort of if she'd have maintained I mean um when you look at the really great acts, you know, they kind of keep the momentum up. Mm. And she, because of that, because um, she sort of kind of slipped a bit, that's why I think she said yeah, that's, that's why rating her second rate. Fair enough. Second rate. So as I um, put that on the uh, overrated board, as I said, uh, Madonna played a gangster's mole. Yes. Um, and I've been musing a bit on gangsters. Okay. Um, and one of the things that I've been worrying about, well, not worrying, but wondering, is um, why don't they ever, in any way, have uh, a sense of humour which means that you can mock them, even gently mock them. <laughs> but you're not allowed to, are you? No. They get very affronted and they will shoot you. Yeah. Or smash your head in with, <laughs> a, with, a, with a vice or something. Yeah. They're incredibly aggressive if you even gently uh, take the piss. Yeah, I mean, they... Vince Costigan would not last seconds in the company <laughs> of the mall, would he? Although we did have a discussion <laughs> about him um, uh, um, managing to get himself away from ISIS <laughs> the other week. <laughs> we did indeed. And sorry if you're listening, Vince. Uh, yes, um, but they've got very thin skins, haven't they? they the mobsters uh, will not take what they call, uh, call having your balls busted. Or busting my balls, they'll say. Yeah, and also as well, they, they, they everything is sort of uh, they sort of equate everything to sort of respect. Yes, and honour. And honour. So yeah. you know, you can't sort of just have a joke with them, like you said. No, you, know. you can't, because no. they, 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 you know, you, you, they'll get that look, <laughs> and then you know you've gone too far. Yeah. And they will get you. Yeah. They, they will do something violent to you. And I, I know this firsthand, not from a gangster, but from um, an old school friend. Uh, not much of a friend, but someone I went to school with. An associate. Uh, an associate from school. I was in a pub with him, chatting away. What I thought was quite amiably, but obviously taking a bit of... <laughs> <laughs> I was mocking him gently, shall we say. Yeah. He took offence, I didn't see it coming, and he punched me right in the face. It fell off my chair right there and then. Yeah, I remember that scene. You were that. there, really? I was there, yeah. I can vouch for that whole Did story. Did you see it happening? Did, could you see that building up? No, I, I, I don't know whether he... Was, didn't he not give you a couple of warnings? Did he? Yeah, he might have done. Right, well, if he did, fair enough, and I didn't heed them. Didn't heed them, well, but then maybe you just maybe they you thought they were just sort of... I did, I probably just thought they were part of the, you know, 
the, the general, yeah. yeah, yeah, without knowing that you know what he really wanted to do was take me outside and uh, <laughs> whack me. That's what he did. Okay, yeah. Uh, so another thing about gangsters is uh, why have they all got such really ridiculous? And this is a thing because obviously they're thin-skinned, don't take any criticism lightly. Yeah, but they've got ridiculous names, haven't they? Yeah, like Lefty McSmith or Razors, Joe Razors or something, or Paulie Walnuts. Paulie Walnuts, that's yes. a great name. Yeah, but if you call him that, yeah, he's gonna—he's not gonna just bust your balls. He's gonna eat them, uh, probably. Why is he called Paulie Walnuts? I have no idea. Oh, no right. idea. Okay. And why do they always have meat packing factories <laughs> where they can hang you up? Yeah, it's always convenient. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so, what would your name be if you were uh, in the mob? Well, it's usually related. It's usually sort of related to a body part, isn't it? So it's like <laughs> okay. Jerry Fingers, yeah, Wall or something, or uh, something. It'd be something like that. I would have thought. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yourself? Um, well, I, sometimes they call you uh, something because of your reputation. Yeah. Or you've done something. Yeah. Um, um, because I read a lot, they might call me the professor. <laughs> which is quite you know, sinister. Yeah. Think about it. It is, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know. You know, for me, uh, they might call me the auditor. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, and uh, you, you should never get into the back seat of a no, the front seat of a car. Yeah, because there's always going to be a mobster behind you with uh, some cheese wire. Oh. And they're going to park up and then um, just slit your throat, aren't they? Just pull that across and kill you. Because you made some comment about. Yeah. Um, yeah, because being I insulted Guy Robbins. Yeah, or or you made some comment about them being under the, the thumb of their wife. Yeah, and any mobsters listening in, yes, um, please don't take any of this in the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, we mean you no disrespect, do we? <laughs> no. And we don't want to be hurt in any way, do we? No, we're and just we're really really sorry. We're just pointing out. Uh, yeah. We're pointing out the sort of the, the foibles of uh, yes, the and, uh, and we, we we can't afford to lose any listeners, can we? <laughs> <laughs> I put on the back of my bike and uh, we went right. 
Okay, so that was uh, Raspberry Beret by Prince uh, from, you know, 1985. All the songs. All the, yeah, all the oh, songs on this, this show. Edition of the show are from the year 1985. 1985, yeah. And um, that was Raspberry Beret. And that was my first sort of introduction to Prince. And um, I had uh, a friend who was really a really big fan and um, been listening to him for a few years previously. Uh, um sort of the year before uh, Purple Rain and the albums before that when he was a bit more of a sort of less mainstream and a bit more of a sort of cult sort of artist I think he turned the corner and became really sort of mainstream and really popular with Purple Rain and uh, that that track is off of uh, Raspberry Bray is one of the one of the two singles I think that were off the album uh, Around the World in a Day uh, which is a really good, good what's record. the other single? Uh, Paisley Park uh, which is uh, that worth well. checking out as well. Could okay. be Jeremy. Jeremy recommends. Ooh, yeah, straight away. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I really got into Prince at the, around about that time uh, via the, the friend I was uh, in, uh, sort of hanging around with at the time. Mm-hmm. Wasn't James Prince? Because <laughs> <No. laughs> we did have a, a friend at yeah. school called James Prince. Yeah, well, Scott Prince. Scott it? Prince and James Prince. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, you no, know, it wasn't. It wasn't them. Okay, but. Um, <laughs> And I got really got into Prince as well, and um, uh, kind of uh, had a chance to go and see him a couple of times. All right. So, yeah, so I saw him in 1988 and 1992. Where did you see him? What saw London? him at Wembley Arena. Yeah. Um, in '88, on the Love Sexy tour, and I saw him on the Diamonds and Pearls tour. Right. From in 1992, with his next band, the New Power Generation. Ah, right. Yeah. Is that what Sheena Easton is? Uh, no, she sang on Sign of the Times. Oh, okay. Uh, she sang on You Got the Look. Oh, yeah, You yeah. Got the Look. Yeah, which was a single off of um, Sign of the Times. Boy. Now, for me, Prince, um, and I don't think this is under, uh, I'm overstating this, but I, for me, Prince is probably the uh, the greatest all round showman in, in music. What does that mean? Well, in terms of his writing ability, his. Oh. Is, is, uh, musical ability and the production ability his dancing uh-huh. ability as an all round sort of package for me he's the sort of greatest exponent of that you know what about Michael Jackson didn't he write as much he did but he didn't he's, he uh, didn't really play any instruments no he didn't, didn't play any instruments as okay, far yeah. as I'm aware like he collaborated on writing the songs Quincy Jones wasn't it um, Quincy Jones' production yeah. in that but um, for me you Prince know, produced his own albums wrote his own stuff wrote stuff for other people played, played all, all the, the instruments yeah, yeah. yeah yeah, could dance yeah and yeah, for me he's a, he's a complete package and if, if, if you don't uh, if you've sort of got any doubts about that if you check out on YouTube his uh, performance um, I think at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame he plays uh, on uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Does he really? And uh, with Tom Petty and uh, George Harrison's son Danny oh, and right. with Jeff Lynne and uh, he, he sort of comes in, in part way through the songs and play a sort of guitar, uh, guitar break and it's wow. absolutely fantastic. So that's 
You should check that out, definitely. I will, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, so for me, he's sort of the greatest all-round entertainer, I think. And another icon of the 80s up there with Madonna. Yeah. Uh, you had quite a few in the 80s, didn't you? Yeah. You don't get many these days. But back, well, I don't, I don't know, because I don't know anything these days. But uh, back then, 36 years ago, uh, they were, it was like you couldn't move for icons. Well, they were everywhere. Um, uh, you mentioned earlier the Diamonds and Pearls tour. Yes. Diamonds and Pearls is my favourite Prince song. Is it? Yeah, and I really like that one. Yeah. It's amazingly rich and luxurious and yeah, yeah. well produced. Yeah. Um, that is kind of my cut-off point for Prince. Right. Because he kind of got into those sort of legal disputes with his record label, Warner Brothers, and then started... Um, it was that period when he called himself the artist formerly known yeah, as Prince. Yeah, what was that about? He became a symbol or something. Yeah, he started sort of. Uh, yeah, he became a, his name became a symbol. <laughs> I can't even tell you what that means, oh, but the symbol. Knows. I remember he used to write things like "slave" on his cheek. Right, that's because actually he, what I've got written on my cheek yeah. now, but not that cheek. It's down there. Um, he. Um, he felt that he was being a. He wanted to leave his contract, I think, right. with Warner Brothers, and. Uh, Okay. They wouldn't let him go, and then he he refused to record. He effectively killed off the name of Prince for a while, you know, and ref mm. refused to re uh, record for them. And fair enough. In about that time, um, the I'm with you on that. Okay. Mm. Around about that time, the drummer from Blur, um, when they were when Blur were on top of the pops, uh, the drummer uh, oh, wrote, right, wrote, wrote, yeah. uh, wrote his wrote Dave on his yeah. sheet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. That yeah. was quite funny. Yes. What was his real name then, Prince? Prince Prince Rogers Nelson. His real name is Prince. Yeah. Or was, because he's dead. Yeah. He died in the great um, celebrity cull of 2016. Yeah. Right. And Prince um, Rogers Nelson. Yes. Yeah, from Minneapolis. Right. But, um, uh, yeah, when he got into the 90s, after Diamonds and Pearls, and mm. he got into this kind of litigation and and uh, he's he's very renowned for sort of just rec constantly recording oh. and writing and recording but the thing is um, uh, the, he became a, it became a sort of case of sort of quantity over quality as far as I'm concerned Okay. and I lost interest in him really he just churned it out churned it out because he got so much stuff in the, the, the vaults and so much right. recording but he went through a period of sort of putting it out there and, and that resulted in sort of albums full of sort of uh, quite a lot of sort of uh, sort of jamming and yeah, yeah. noodling, and uh, I lost interest okay. uh, in him at that point. I, I preferred him when he was sort of song, you know, writing songs and strong yeah. melodies rather than that period of his career. You know, although he did have a slight renaissance. You know, did he? yeah. I don't remember that. Uh, in nineteen ninety eight, he had that number. His only UK number one, um, the most beautiful girl in the world. That was a good song. Yeah. What year was it? Ninety eight, I think. Okay. Off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah, Kiss with uh, uh, Tom Jones and the Art of Noise. Oh yeah, um, I don't know if they sampled any of his stuff on that, but he wrote that, didn't he? He did. He had a hit with that in '86. He wrote "Nothing Compares to You," which is an amazing song. Yeah, Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, wrote "Manic Monday" for the uh, Bangles. Oh God, that is one of my favourite songs. <laughs> yeah, you got to give him credit just for that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's do it. I, I, I can't imagine you rating him anything less than the first rate. But you're the man. I am going to rate him first rate. First and rate. the reason, and you might think, well, you know, Madonna, they both had a sort of, uh, a sort of uh, lean period in the, in the 90s. But um, mm. I just think, 
for all his other attributes and everything he sort of achieved and for those reasons I've already said I, I, I would rate him first rate I, I think there's no doubt he's much more artistically uh, better yeah. than like the Madonna yes his artistic worth is a lot more yeah. than hers without a doubt yeah, yeah. first rate So first rate for Prince, um, and you mentioned an all-rounder. Yeah. You've got an all-rounder in your supergroup. Let's play the jingle. Superpower group of 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 There you go. Never get tired of that. Um, so for everybody uh, who didn't listen to. Uh, podcast from 27 eight, 2018 because we're in 2019 now aren't we yeah um we are forming rival supergroups <laughs> and we're going to play games with them yeah. a bit like fantasy football league and all that <laughs> kind of thing um jeremy what is, what is your supergroup called and who is in it because you've added some uh, finalized the lineup now haven't you and got your final yeah after met many talks and um yeah uh, sort of legalities out of the way. My, right. my band, yeah. uh, Haphazard. Haphazard. Yeah. With an uh, exclamation mark. With an exclamation mark, yeah. So, the final lineup um, uh, now is uh, Bill Nelson on lead guitar, uh, Mick Tucker from The Suite uh, on drums, Jacko Pistorius uh, from Weather Report um, on bass, Todd Rungren, um, who's the all rounder really in my. In my um, in my group, uh, he's on guitars, vocals, and piano. Uh, Rod Argent is my keyboard man, and my main front man is uh, Alex Harvey from the Sensational Alex Harvey Band. Wow, that is a, a super group indeed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And Rod Argent, who was in um, a band called Argent. Wasn't uh, he? Yeah, but he was in first. He was in the Zombies. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, great. They were great. Yeah. The Zombies. Yeah. 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 And they hold your head high. That up. was Argent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, God gave rock and roll to you. Don't remember that one. Do you? No, no. Right. Okay, so my band are called The Pedants. I couldn't decide if The Pedants or just Pedants, but in the end, I got it for The Pedants. Uh, and the lineup consists of Stevie Wonder on piano and vocals, okay. David Crosby from The Birds, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young on rhythm guitar, vocals, and drugs. Uh, Steve Winwood in every ba band going, but yeah. uh, Traffic, the Spencer Davis group, uh, Blind Faith, another super group he was in. He's on rhythm guitar, vocals, and piano. Jimi Hendrix is my lead guitarist. He's also supplying some vocals. Nick Mason from Pink Floyd is my drummer. Uh, Moby uh, is on keyboards, guitars, vocals, and production, so he's my all rounder. Uh, <laughs> Tina Weymouth uh, from Talking Heads is uh, my bass guitarist. Elvis Presley, I think <laughs> needs no introduction, is uh, on lead vocals. And Kate Bush, I think, needs no introduction. She also is on lead vocals. So that's my supergroup, The Pedants, featuring Jimi Hendrix, Elvis Presley, Kate Bush, Moby, Stevie Wonder and David Crosby. I think, I think, you know, a few tickets would be sold. Yeah, you? if you could, if you could sort of keep them, <laughs> keep them in one room long enough. <laughs> I certainly should. <laughs> now we've got a game, and uh, basically we've got some cards. Uh, we'll take a photograph, uh, show them all to you. Um, our other card game has been stolen by Viz, <laughs> who are now selling 
them uh, and so we don't want to be accused of plagiarism um, we might actually sue Viz because we can prove that we came up with it first I don't know but we've got a new game and it's uh, the supergroups game and basically on these cards are certain things that happen to your group yeah um, and uh, well you can go first then Jeremy uh, pick a card and uh, we'll take it from there Ooh. So I've picked a uh, flop album. Flop album. <gasps> so your group, Haphazard, have just released a flop album. Jeremy, what's it called? Uh, it's called uh, Chaos and Destruction. Chaos and Destruction. <laughs> Flopped. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Massively. What is a flop album? It doesn't reach the top 20... What would a, 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 a record what? company hope for? Well, top 10, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, okay. certainly with a lineup like that, yeah. you know, <laughs> doesn't even reach the top ten. There would have been a massive sort of hype around it. Yeah. Or you know, we've got a tour. Know, ooh, we've got Rungren and Nelson in yeah. the same band. <laughs> right. that's, that's a band, that's a recipe for. Uh, what was the <laughs> album called? Um, Chaos and De De Destruction. Chaos and Destruction flopped. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. My turn okay. to pick a card, and I have. Um, Hit album. <laughs> How's that? What's your hit album? My called? hit album is called Skip Ad, <laughs> <laughs> and it's full of catchy tunes. Right. Uh, there's no noodling. There's no farting around. This band really writes some incredibly catchy melodies, um, and basically six of the songs from it are number one. It seems. <laughs> it seems quite. You know. Uh, you know, if you sort of flip that around a bit, you could sort of <laughs> yes. uh, add, add to a skip, which is probably what they did with all the copies of my <laughs> album. <laughs> they probably did. So, Skip Ad yeah. is my uh, hit album. Yeah. Uh, number one for 55 weeks. Okay. In the charts. <laughs> <laughs> they tour with it. Six number one singles it produces. Right, okay. Yeah. Like, it's a bit like sort of... What was that? Was it playing the title track. <laughs> <laughs> with Elvis going skibbed <laughs> okay so uh, pick another card okay okay so I've got cancels a t cancel a tour halfway through oh dear gosh <laughs> not going too well for you is it you've already had a flop album yeah now you're on a worldwide tour yeah but you've got to cancel it yeah. So, what's the reason? Uh, lack of ticket sales following <laughs> the uh, following the chaos and destruction. The chaos Flop. and destruction tour <laughs> has to be cancelled halfway through because there's no interest in it. There's not selling those tickets yet. No, exactly. Uh, the Wembley Arena isn't. What's that? Seventy-five thousand people. Wembley Stadium. Stadium. They're yeah. not going for it, yeah. No, they're not. You're going to get three thousand people at best now. Yeah. For a flop album like that. Even with Todd Rundgren, Bill Nelson, Mick Tucker, Mick Tucker, Jacko Pistorius, they're not they're not selling the tickets. No. Okay. Well, it's going really bad for you. How's it going for me? Oh dear. <laughs> 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 A member of your band is fired. 
So, oh dear. <laughs> I have a fire member of my band. Who's uh, Oh, and uh, without hesitation, that would be David Crosby. <laughs> I only put him in the band so I could fire him at some point. So, off I you go, David Gra Crosby. Wasn't Graham Nash your candidate? Yes, I, he was. I was going to put Graham, uh, Graham Nash in just to fire him. <laughs> but then David Crosby annoyed me on Twitter. So, <laughs> I, I, in fact, I'm going to tweet him. Dave, you've been fired from my band. <laughs> yeah, I met Dave Crosby's son in Rome. Yeah, and um, I wish I kept in touch because I could now tell him that I've just fired his dad yeah. from my supergroup. That's sure to get him to lift that ban. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, one more round each. So what have I got? Can I turn round my fortunes? Oh no! Terrible, <laughs> terrible film. Oh no! <laughs> So, a flop album, a cancelled world tour, and now a terrible film. <laughs> What's it called? Oh, I just want to say it's um. Oh dear, is it is it going to be something like um? Is it a tour film? A tour film? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. A tour film showing up, but showing the warts and all. Yeah. Uh, attempts to get the tour on the road and and you know <laughs> right. culminating in. Yeah, a, a cancellation halfway through. Yes, a bit like um, that fire festival documentary. Oh right. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So terrible film for Jer. Uh, finally for you. Finally for me. How's my luck holding up? Ooh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, a member of your band is stolen by your rival supergroup. Oh. Oh my God. Oh, that go. means that Jeremy has now got to steal someone from my band he, he can actually still David Crosby who's uh, fired because uh, that's technically still technically part of the band so Jeremy Stevie Wonder David Crosby Moby Steve Winwood Jimi Hendrix Nick Mason Tina Weymouth Elvis Presley or Kate Bush so if I still remember the still a member of your band do they do I then give you do you end up having the member of my band no 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 I stay unless I get that card next time yeah I can steal it back yeah I'm going to say that I'm going to have uh, Moby. You want Moby? For his production. Okay. Because I need to turn it around and get a, a hit second album. Right, yeah, fair enough. So and Moby uh, is now Jeremy's. Okay. All right, so uh, mixed fortunes for our bands. You've had a flop album, a terrible film, and a cancelled <laughs> world tour. But you have got Moby now in your band. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that he's not going to be a dick. He is a bit of a dick, yeah. Is I'm, he? I'm not, I'm not too sorry to see the back of him, to be honest. Because uh, I've got plenty still. Well, apart from David Crosby, who's also been fired from my band. So I'm two men down at this stage. On the plus side, I've got a hit album, 55 Weeks at number one, and um, six number one hit singles from it, including the title track, Skip Ad. Are we going to introduce a sort of transfer window where you can bring in, <laughs> you can sort of buy in new talent? Yes, we could yeah. do that. We can add that. And if anybody's got any suggestions for any, uh, anything else, we can add to the deck. Or if you want to buy a deck, we can sell them to you and yep. uh, get other people to buy it, uh, join in our supergroup game. Yeah. Uh, uh, we'll put it up on um, our red bubble um, merchandising <laughs> arm <laughs> of our franchise. <laughs> <laughs>
Confused with Ian McCulloch, the actor, right, who was in Survivors, the 1970s, you know, post-apocalyptic. I remember that um, television that series by Terry Nation. Is that the? Um, did it used to start with a plane? Taking no, off? it used to start with passport photographs of around right. the world okay. and a strain of virus. <laughs> you know, and a, a, ma- a scientist in a mask and Survivors. Yeah, yeah. was it anyway, good? Yeah, it's one of the best things ever made, Survivors. It's quite extraordinary. Uh, they, they remade it in the uh, 2000s yeah. very badly. Okay. Uh, but Ian McCulloch is not the best actor in the world. He's very, shall we say, one note. Right, okay. Very macho, one note. Yeah. Um, gritted teeth, uh, stoic yeah. stuff. He popped up in Doctor Who a few times, very um, amusingly. Um, and he was in a lot of Italian horror films like Cannibal Ferox and things like that okay because he was a cheap <laughs> actor who could do these things yeah um, so whenever I anybody would ever talk about Ian McCulloch yeah from and we're talking about Echo and the Bunny Man yeah in my head I don't picture Ian McCulloch with the funny hair it looks a bit like Sideshow Duck Bob yeah. from The Simpsons yeah uh, I picture Ian McCulloch from Survivors yeah, all right, okay. Anyway, uh, so 1985, that was one of their hits from that year. Um, I think their best song is The Killing Moon. Oh, yeah. Um, which made a bit of a revival because of the film Donnie Darko from the early 2000s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was in that. Um, and everybody remembered how much, how good that was. Yeah. Uh, they also did a cover version of The Doors, People Are Strange. Yeah, that was The Lost Boys, wasn't it? Yes, the film The Lost Boys. I yeah. don't know what year that was. 87. Oh, well. Yeah. I think it was produced by uh, Ray Manzarek. It was indeed, yes. He was yeah. a big fan of uh, Echo and the Bunnymen, apparently. Right. Um, so they were um, one of those Liverpool moody um, indie bands yeah. that sprung up around the time. Mm. Where were the Smiths from? Manchester. Manchester. So you Liverpool, Manchester, you had all these uh, groups, didn't you? Yeah, don't, um, don't get uh, Stuart McConey started on it, because he'll go on and on and on about Yeah. He was Smiths. and how he discovered them, oh. and you know how, how, how nobody'd heard of them until he talked about them, oh. and yeah, 
Do you know he actually says that the first band he ever saw was the Beatles? Yes, I saw that. Unbelievable. Cider with Roadies. Yeah. 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 Uh, Stuart McConey, are you, if he's listening out there, uh, do phone in. Or uh, We haven't got a phone in, have we? No, so <laughs> I find that a bit difficult. Let's get a hotline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Echo and the Bunnymen. Um, bring on the dancing horses. I've got a clue what it means. Do you? No. No. I can honestly say I've never really been a fan of Echo and the Bunnymen. No, I know. But, <laughs> and I'd never heard this song until you suggested it for the show. Right. But having heard it, I have actually quite like it. Um, you like this song? Yeah, I know they had a little bit of a renaissance, didn't they, in the 90s. Mm. Um, Nothing Lasts Forever. Yeah, yeah. Which good. is a good track. Yeah. But I liked yeah. when that came out. Um, I think my... Uh, I've... He's a little bit sort of self-aggrandizing, you know. Is he? Yeah, and that doesn't sit very. Um, that doesn't. Uh, he made all these sort of proclamations about him being the best singer ever. And I stuff don't remember like him doing that, but if he did, yeah, that's, that's that is a bit knobbish. Yeah, it is, and and it's that sort of. Uh, I like to call it. It's the, I call it the sort of the Bono factor. You know? <laughs> okay, the Bono factor. You know where they're a bit sort of. You know they're kind of a bit. Uh, over important yeah you know about what they're achieving you know yeah I know what you mean with Bono you know I've said it before yeah. when Bono's sort of phone at the White House and yeah yeah say oh Did you see we stole that? this from the, the, the uh, Charles Manson stole this from the Beatles yeah. we're stealing it back and all that I crap know. did you see <laughs> the footage from Davos you know the uh, world conference that was happening there da Davos okay not right. Davros no not Davros <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a world conference with Davros would be quite interesting to watch. Um, but Davos, okay, yeah. where they were talk, uh, trying to uh, eliminate world poverty and whatever, they had a Dutch journalist, historian, um, take the mic on yeah. the panel yeah. um, and said something like, uh, well, look, you can um, uh, fly in Bono as many times as you like. Uh, we all know it's bullshit. Yeah. Um, what we really should be doing is raising taxes. Yeah, yeah. flying sure. Bono. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, I can imagine he's uh, a bit big-headed. And uh, did he really say he's the best singer? I think he's. I think he sort of. Uh, Let's find that quote. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty certain he said something along those lines. Okay, he's not even the best singer in, uh, in the Beatles. No. <laughs> <laughs> in Echo in the Bunnymen, I was going to say, because <laughs> yeah. I've heard those bunnies, and they, you know, they've got quite nice voices. Yeah. So, but um, I did. You know, I don't dislike that Dutch song, and you know, I'm I'm familiar. This with is. The, I must say that every now and again, I play mischief maker and try and slot in a band that I think is going to get a fourth or third rate from you, uh, because I know you, and I know you've never really liked them. As much as my wife loves them, and I'm quite keen, um, I knew that they weren't a favourite of yours. So let's get a, a verdict, a final verdict, then on Echo and the Bunnyman. Um, I'm gonna say second rate. Second rate. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I went really Bristolian then, didn't I? Second rate. Really. <laughs> wow. That Just is to that sort of say one thing about, yeah. um, and I've said it before about eighties bands, the production, production values uh -huh. of eighties bands, they always give me. They don't ever really feel like a proper band. Now, what I mean by that is that they're a sort of when you had all the sort of the new romantic sort of bands like um, Duran Duran and. Uh, Spando Ballet oh. and Culture Club and those sort of bands I yeah. never sort of felt as if they were proper musicians you know because of the production values it always felt like they were kind of sort of flown in mm -hmm. on top of backing tracks you know yeah okay. they didn't ever sort of feel like they were real bands 
and Echo the Bunnyman sound a little bit like that to me, although they they quite obviously are a band. Mm-hmm. Just the way the way they sound. Okay. And I think my opinion That's a fair was fair enough point. My I think my opinion was changed uh, on that whole thing is when I saw Culture Club. Culture Club got back together and they played on Jules Holland's programme. Right. And they did one of their old songs, a track called uh, Church of the Poison Mind. Oh yeah, I remember that, yeah. And um, they played it and I was really, really impressed with the musicianship and it kind of changed my opinion of actually... And did it sound like it did on the record? It did, but it had... It had a sort of... much sort of gutsier sound... Okay. ...than the, the production. So there, it's not smothered by the record production. Yeah. It sounds a bit more it like was a band a, playing a, a Yeah, song. exactly, and I was really impressed with, okay. with them. Uh, Echo and the Bunnymen are still playing live, so yeah. they probably play this. Um, yeah. I quite like a lot of 80s production, I have to admit. Right, okay. Maybe it's a nostalgia thing. Yeah. Maybe because I was buying albums back then, and they all sound, you know, current albums from the 80s to me. You know, like... Uh, I always like late Pink Floyd albums because yeah. of that 80s kind of sound they've got. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like um, Learning to Fly and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah, I don't actually like Learning to Fly, but yeah, that oh, no, album no. itself yeah. is uh, something like Sorrow or... Um, momentary Lapse of Reason. Momentary Lapse of Reason or Yet Another Movie, that kind of stuff. Okay. Really, and uh, Clanad. Um, yeah. That album, Masala, yeah. uh, which is not a curry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyway, so second rate for Echo and the Bunny Man is a bit of a surprise to me and very generous, I think. So um, I will my, my, uh, hopefully uh, get um, something nice for my wife for that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> second rate. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit now as we've kind of got a loose sort of theme of uh, uh, 1985. Uh, and given this year is, is a... Is a, 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 a an Ashes year. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who are, are not familiar with uh, cricket and the Ashes, the Ashes is a uh, a kingly fought contest between Australia, England, and Australia. Um, usually takes place every sort of four years, really. And uh, this year, um, it's usually um, a five-test match series. It has been a six-test match series in the past, but it's a five-test match series, and um, it's due to take place this year. Um, but when I was uh, first into cricket, I'm a big cricket fan. Um, the first time I really, uh, in, really got into it in a big way was the 1985 Ashes series. Um, Who won that? Uh, England, England won three-one. Wow! And regained the Ashes. Uh-huh. Australia, England have famously uh, won the Ashes in 1981. Uh-huh. Uh, sometimes called Botham's Ashes because yeah, yeah. of his exploits. I remember that. And. Um, then they'd gone to Australia. Usually there's a return series. So in 1981, there was a home series, six six test matches. And then they went to Australia in, in the winter of 82 into 1983 and lost the Ashes. Right. So when they came here in 85, which is my first really big oh. year of watching cricket, it was a, a big Ashes series and England uh, came out on top and ended up winning the series 3-1 and regaining the Ashes. And uh, for me, it stood out. It was a... In those days, the sort of cricket was um, not like now, where they sort of shoehorn in as much as they can over about a five-week period. In those days, you were kind of it's, it lasted the whole summer, and for me, it just sort of it, um, it summed up the whole summer for me of 1985. All those games of cricket, the Australians here, gaps in between the matches, you know, you could really get get into the feel of it, the build-up of it, you know, mm. and. 
the Australians played like tour matches between the test match between the main matches as well so they sort of tour around the counties oh did they because I remember going up and seeing them at the county ground they played Gloucestershire at the oh, county ground and uh, yeah it was a fantastic summer for me and uh, it kind of defines 1985 for me even more than the sort of the more iconic Live Aid, really. Right. And yeah. uh, who was the captain of the England cricket team? Uh, David Gower. Gower? Yeah. Okay. And he led from the front. He scored 700 runs in that series, I think. Good God. Yeah. 700 runs. Yeah, and Graham Gooch, who went on to be England captain, yeah. he scored quite a lot of runs. And there were uh, Mike Gatting, who was another captain at one yeah, point. Yeah. He scored some runs. Everybody sort of chipped who in, was really. bowling then? Was it Bob Willis? No, he'd retired by then. It was both them. Um, I'm trying to think now. Both them to two spinners from Middlesex, uh, John Embry and um, Embry, yeah, and Phil Edmonds. They used Embry, to bowl. Yeah, yeah. Embry I remember these names. Mark. Yeah, and it was just a great summer. You know, a real good sort of. Who was the captain of the Australian team? Alan Border. Border. Yeah. Impossible to get out. <laughs> I remember there were jokes about bowling grenades at him because <laughs> he would just stay in forever, wouldn't he? Yeah, and he famously got 196, I think, at Lords. Wow! In the second Test match. Good Lord. Um, but yeah, for me, lots of great memories of that summer. And was it um, uh, good weather? Was it rained off at any point? Uh, there was a little bit of rain, but not a lot. I seem to remember it being quite bright and sunny, you know, and mm. um, and it was in the days when you could actually watch the matches on terrestrial TV. So yeah. I spent the whole sort of summer. BBC. Yeah, remember watching. The, Spending the whole summer watching the watching the matches and being really enthusiastic because I was just getting into cricket myself and just starting to play it, you know. And because it was uh, these matches were held in England, they yeah. weren't at four o'clock in the morning or whatever, and no. they were in Australia. So no, eleven o'clock in the morning to six o'clock in the evening, really. So all you, your whole day, you could sit flop in front of the telly, yeah, and watch the cricket. And I probably did on a lot of occasions. Uh, I was so into it. I was watching it a lot, you know. Wow! But it was—it uh, sums up a great sort of period for me, you know. A great—it was a great summer, you know. So we are. There it is. The exciting evidence: England have beaten Australia by an innings and 94 runs. Australia bowled out for 129, and so England have regained the Ashes by three tests to one. Yeah. And then, as you said, Live Aid. Yeah. Um, when was that? The summer of 85 as well? Yeah, that it? was July the 13th, I think, okay. 85. So it kind of was... They were overlapping, really, mm. you know. Uh, I remember watching Live Aid at home. Mm. I seem to remember it being very sort of quiet. I think a lot of people probably tuned into it. Do you watch it at the time? Yeah, yeah, I remember bits of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I actually saw Bob Geldof famously <clears throat> give us your money kind of thing yeah swearing I don't think he actually says what everybody thinks he's thinks no no he I don't think he did though, so uh, yeah. but because um, they they would cut from um, the studio BBC presenters yeah uh, with all your pop stars and mm. there I think Fish was a guest at one point right uh, to the action on the stage um, because not all of it was good any good was it some of it was probably quite dull and boring yeah. although it was an incredibly hot day I seem to recall yeah it was yeah I, I worked with the guy actually who was there oh yeah he was um, in, in, the, in the audience but there was uh, I mean Wembley Wembley Arena I'm uh, sorry Wembley Stadium held held about sort of 75,000 yeah because I saw Pink Floyd there that year yeah yeah that um, year or you all the year after yeah. very very 
soon around that time. Yeah. Did you see them once or twice? Twice. Yeah. I saw them at the arena yeah. and at Wembley Stadium. Oh right, okay. Yeah. On, On the, the same, same tour. tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so um, uh, now my recollection was that uh, Queen stole the day. Yes. And there's a film about that yeah. now, isn't there? But yeah, absolutely. And uh, McCartney was the final act, is that right? He was, yeah, and he had to be sort of cajoled into, mm. into appearing because he hadn't done anything for a couple of years and I think he got harangued by um, Bob Geldof. To, mm. And he did, and his mic famously his microphone didn't work. And what was he doing, Let It Be? Uh, yes. All right. Yeah. And uh, we've uh, contested that the Beatles, if they'd have played... Yes. What set they would have done? Yeah. Probably started with Come Together. I think we both agreed. Yeah, yeah. And, and then we had with this, All You Need Is Love or something. Yeah, we had this discussion, mm. you know, the yeah. tantalising, uh, you know, how tantalising that would have been. Because uh, at least, I mean, I mean, George was still making music in the 80s. Ringo yeah. Was, was he out of rehab? Um, yeah, I think so. I'm not sure how long he's been sort of clean, you know. Uh, John was off heroin. Supposedly, we don't know. I mean, there's a book by Albert Goldman which uh, suggests that he wasn't clean. Yeah. Um, when he was living in domestic bliss in the Dakota building with Yoko Ono. Yeah. We we'll never know. But anyway, um, that was 1985 for Jeremy. Um, and let's move on to uh, oh this. Hand it to you and your latest 
tree latest trick by uh, Dire Straits from the, the the massive selling album Brothers in Arms uh, they should have called it and that's magic <laughs> <laughs> Paul Daniels <laughs> say yes Paul say yes Paul <laughs> and um, it was kind of often thought of as the one of the first sort of major albums on the, in, in, the, in the format CD format wasn't mm. it? it was yeah and um for me, it's the point where they sort of became <clears throat> sort of corporate, really. Corporate? You know, very sort of corporate and sort of, you know, um, up until that point. <laughs> and up until that point, they'd sort of made sort of, uh, you know, like Sultans of Swing and mm-hmm. the Romeo and Juliet and that yeah. sort of stuff. I had Love Over Gold. Oh, right, a yeah. Really good album. It's got Private Investigations on oh, it. Oh, yeah. Excellent. And Telegraph Road. It's also very it's good. It's got Tunnel of Love on it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I can't remember. Um, but I like that album. Um, and um, yeah, I had everybody had this album. Uh, well, we've since, since found yeah, out that apart from me. You didn't have this no. album. You've got every other album, but apart from this one. But every other home had this album. I remember this sort of album getting a lot of stick at the time. Why? Um, because obviously because it was successful. And oh, okay. Successful stuff tends to get... Yeah, yeah. But it's very it's some excellent stuff on there. That's a really good song. The title track "Brothers in Arms" is amazing. Yeah. Uh, what was it? The "Money for Nothing," the big single that was good. Yeah. Um, what else was on there? The "Walk of Life." Yeah, "Walk of Life." That's a good song. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a bad song on this album. It's no, I mean good. we were discussing whether we, this is possibly sort of a music for people who don't actually like music but feel they've oh. got to have music, some some music in their house. It is a bit like that, yeah. <laughs> but and it's also a bit like the t- type of music you put on when you change the cat layer or the curtains or something yeah. uh, just busying yourself doing other stuff not really listening to the album <laughs> but it is also an album that you can really listen to and put on your headphones on well, and I imagine people did and your uh, Sony Walkman or did portable CD player I don't know if they were around in 85 mm, probably not probably not you know um, the um, I mean I said you know it's very very atmospheric yeah it me. is um, it kind of makes me sort of think of sort of walking in the rain yeah pulling up your collar yeah yeah you know it kind of so uh, the, it's a, the the, the uh, production on that and love of a gold you know private investigations has got that kind of feel as well yeah um yeah they are very well produced i don't know who did them um no i'm not sure i'm not. just wondering whether um for me it sort of dire straits became more sort of about Mark Knopfler from this they became on. a stadium band yeah uh, and he had that bandana thing yeah, going on yeah uh, and they they were kind of Bruce Springsteen-ish kind of appeal. I kind of got so to bloke, they were blokey yeah. they, they were the kind of thing that blokes used to listen to and think it was okay to listen to yeah you know you go into a pub and you put a bit of Dire Straits on you're a bloke yeah and then you have a beer with your blokes yeah but, I just think it became less about sort of the band mm. and more about sort of Knopfler with and uh, and a few others you know like not Mark Knopfler and right Dire Straits rather than the sort of 
up until that point feeling like a sort of well they always felt like to me like a a pub band made good yeah Uh, stuff like Sultans of Swing which is about a pub band Um, yeah and uh, uh, Romeo and Juliet and all that kind of tunnel love always felt pub bandy yeah let's knock out a a catchy number kind of thing yeah you play in a pub Um, and then they they did a bit of that proggy stuff like Telegraph Road and um private investigations and then knocked out this incredible hit album yeah all these really catchy songs and propelled them into uh superstardom i mean i think i tend to sort of be as you know i tend to be a bit of a contrarian you know yeah so i tend to sort of that would be your nickname in the mob (laughs) (laughs) the contrarian jerry the contrarian mob. (laughs) yeah (laughs) and um when people get too much hype mm. or in the case of people like uh, uh, Ian McCulloch mm-hmm. when they kind of get ahead of themselves get ahead of themselves you know yeah, that you tends to set me on a yeah on a you've got exacting standards haven't you for what you ex- there has to be a, a, a perfect set of um, demeanour and attitude I guess and musical so. ability before <laughs> for you to like let's uh, rate them yeah. you're the man here um, dire straights first straight second rate third rate or fourth rate I'm going to say second rate second rate yeah. okay fair enough purely because I really like that song right I like um, Songs of Swing mm. um, I like uh, Romeo and Julia I like a few of their songs mm. and um, Douglas Adams was a big fan was he yeah okay Douglas Adams liked dire straights and Pink Floyd a lot okay uh, my dad liked Brothers in Arms it was one of his favourite albums when he was buried uh, Brothers in Arms was the music we walked into the chapel really to hear okay or, or at the end I can't remember I didn't realise that um, so that's a motive there's also the music that's played on the second at uh, the end of the second series of the West Wing okay uh, in the best television episode of anything ever made apart from The Parting of the Ways Doctor Who uh, two cathedrals um, and it's incredibly well done there so that always uh, moves me. Yeah. Um, and uh, I played a bit to it with my son the other day. Right. Uh, in preparation for this, I found myself humming, I want my MTV. And uh, I thought my son would know what that was. He didn't. And so I think that's Sting, isn't it? It is. That's amazing. <laughs> um, from their big hit single. Money for nothing. Money for nothing. Yeah, yeah. Which was uh, one of those MTV. It made MTV. One of these. Yeah, that I think thriller. that was a really. Yeah. Uh, that was a big American hit. Yes, I that's can another thing. You know. Yeah, and it's really ironic because it's about people who don't understand music, okay. and um, it's about delivery guys. You know, shifting tellies and sofas yeah. and fridges and whatever. Yeah. Looking at the television and seeing rock stars. Yeah. And thinking they've got the easy life. Yeah, and then the that kind of yeah yeah yeah. So the, the yeah, um, I was looking up uh, Dire Straits to find out if they're still around, and all I found was a huge number of tribute bands. Okay, the amount yeah. of tribute bands for Dire Straits is quite unbelievable. Okay, they're all called something like uh, Money for Nothing, the Dire Straits Experience, or okay. Tunnel of Love, the Dire. Except for one, <laughs> which made me laugh, called Dire Streets, <laughs> <laughs> from. Uh, what 
in Somerset Street yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a place called Street in Somerset there is a Dire Straits tribute band called Dire Streets yeah <laughs> I thought that was great excellent yeah so yeah so we rated them second second rate second rate for um, Dire Streets second rate one of the only two Speedle songs with an exclamation mark on the end being for the benefit of Mr. Kite oh right okay yeah help is yeah. there another one um hey Bulldog possibly mm. yeah. anyway help uh, one of my favourite Beatles songs uh, I really love that period I must yeah. admit um basically anything onwards from um A Hard Day's Night that period up to um the end of Sgt. Pepper is my favourite period. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. I don't think there's a track I don't like. No. Or maybe maybe something Ringo did. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I love it and uh, this is one of my uh it's one of their fa their best title tracks. Yeah. Uh, of a film that isn't very good, but um no. uh, a really really excellent record. Yeah, I mean yeah and sort of Lennon famously uh, had a sort of uh, fondness for that mm. because he he often said that it would be a song he wouldn't uh, when he when all the sort of dust settled after the split of the Beatles and uh, they were on better terms he was it was one of the songs he said he wouldn't mind he'd certainly if he was going to tour again he would certainly uh, play it as part yeah. of the tour yeah um, when he was asked about a lot of his records he he sort of wasn't happy with them and including no. um Including uh, Strawberry Fields Forever. Yeah, it was a bit disingenuous. I yeah. think. I think he used to sort of say stuff. Really, he would say one thing, one depending on what mood he was in. When Indeed, he spoke yeah. to him, you know. Yeah, yeah. If he was on an anti-Beatles kick that day, he would not be yeah. favourably disposed to it. Um, 
he he wrote a lot of um, uh, self auto autobiographical stuff, and this is about him actually needing help. And you can probably chase his life through the Beatles, unlike any of the other Beatles, maybe George, um, by what he's singing. He's mm. singing, you know, about his life a lot of the times. Paul doesn't. Paul sings about other people, yeah. and occasionally about his relationship with Jane Asher. Yeah, um, for no one, and yeah, yeah, and those are some of his best stuff. But uh, John, uh, when he's at his most creative, is singing from the heart about how he feels. Um, yeah. and you could right up to the um, end of Revolution. That period. oh, the Ballad of John and Yoko will be yeah, the last course, one, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, as always, uh, Revolution on the Head, the Beatles record in the sixties, the finest piece of fab scholarship ever published says Mojo magazine <laughs> by Ian MacDonald uh, not Ian McCulloch no um, incidentally you never see a copy of that in a charity shop no because it's an expensive book yeah, yeah. Um, help remains relatively uncontrived the emotion in Lennon's voice cutting through the frenetic activity around it looking back on the song in 1980 he recorded it as a cry for help from the depths of what he referred to as his fat Elvis period <laughs> Mentally exhausted by two years of continuous touring, he was isolated and alienated in his much-roomed mansion in the stockbroker belt of London's Western Fringe. Yeah. We've been there, haven't we? Uh, not there. Oh, it that was one. Kenwood. His marriage damaged by an orgiastic round of whores and groupies on the road, he felt unsustained by his faithful and attentive wife Cynthia, who, concerned for her husband's health, made no secret of disapproving of his drug intake. All of this amounted to a personal malaise that would expand to overwhelming dimensions during the next two years. Lyrically help distills Lennon's misery, marking a watershed in his life. Here, the shell he had grown around his feelings since his mother's death finally cracks as he ad admits a need for others. Right, yeah. So that's why you want this book because it tells you things like that, which is uh, I couldn't put it any better. No, and the word orgiastic <laughs> thrown in there so well. Uh, yeah, so uh, a great song from uh, an underrated album. I know it's got some rubbish on it, but it's also got some excellent stuff, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's great sort of uh, mm. pop music, really. Yeah. yeah, Ticket to Ride is on this album. Yes, that alone makes it amazing. Yeah. Uh, and now. Yes, uh, so uh, Beatles question for you, Jeremy. Yeah. It's the, uh, well, we it was the White Album's uh, 50th, wasn't it? Yes. Um, and you've uh, probably immersed yourself in quite a lot of it, I should think. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. hopefully this question will uh, work for you. Okay. So which two songs from the Isher demos, yes. the Isher demo being the name of George Harrison's place, yeah. Bungalow. Yeah, he lived. In the, his, he had a bungalow called Kinthorns. Right. In Isha. In Isha. Where they met in sort of May, nineteen sixty-eight, to uh, thrash out the songs that they were going to record for the White Album. So they'd actually put all this stuff down on tape. Yeah. And then came round and met and played it to each other. Uh, they recorded it at Isha. Oh, they recorded it. At yeah. Oh, they had, came along with their songs and recorded ah. it. Yeah. Okay, so which two songs from the Isha demos yeah. ended up on Abbey Road? Um, right, okay. Um, oh, right, um, 
Let me just think of the track listing of uh, Abbey okay. Road. I would say, um, you never give me your money. Mm-hmm. No. Along the right lines, though. Um, polythene pan? Yes. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Darling? No. No, okay. Got me, me, Mr. Mustard. Ah, right, okay. But as a point for uh, Polythene Pam. Okay, well, there yeah. you go. Yeah, scroll one back. I've had a very good track run recently. Well, maybe all my questions are getting a bit more. Yeah, that's okay. That's good. Uh, advanced level. Yeah. It's like if it was a Beatles uh, exam. <laughs> yeah. We're going up. Um, I'd like to hear Polythene Pam and uh, me, Mr. Mustard from the Isha demos. Yeah, yeah. You've got them all, haven't you, on these? Yeah, um, the whole Isha stuff that is, was made available on the, yeah, the Uber 50th anniversary right. edition. Uh, not yeah. released by Uber, the taxi firm, but no. just... No. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, on this show, Jerry, you have rated uh, Madonna, second rate, Yeah. one of the icons of the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, Prince first rate, yeah. another icon of the 1980s. Uh, yeah. Echo and the Bunnymen second rate, surprise yeah. to me. Yeah. Uh, dire Straits second rate. Yeah. Uh, another surprise to me. I didn't think you had uh, much love for them. And um, you got the Beatles question half right. Yeah. You've recommended Penny Lane yeah. by David Bowie on one yeah. of those uh, Top of the Pops. Not by the real artist. Yeah, hits of hits of '68, I think it's called. Okay. Yeah. Has he got a sexy woman on the front cover? I don't know. I've got the actual vinyl copy of it. I'll okay. show you in a second. All right, let's take a photograph of you holding it up. Oh well, yeah, I got that now. And Paisley Park by Prince uh, yeah. from the album Around the World. In a Day. Around the World in a Day. The same album as uh, Raspberry Berets from. Okay, I'm going to um, rearrange my uh, Bay City's Rollers albums into alphabetical order. Uh, I'm Vince Staden. I'm Jerry Wall. Good night. Whoa there, not so fast. Um, During the editing of uh, this episode, um, I had to chop out a big section of stuff that didn't go anywhere, but in that section was uh, a bit with Jeremy talking about a very interesting thing about uh, those old Top of the Pops albums, uh, which is why he recommended um the david bowie version of penny lane so i'm going to just pop that here just that tiny little bit because it's good but jeremy frequents these um charity stores uh or thrift shops for our american have you been to one in street yet Uh, (laughs) yes hello american viewers uh listeners they're called thrift shops aren't they yeah 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 um, and in these charity stores, they've always got a section of CDs, DVDs, and books. And vinyl sometimes. And sometimes vinyl, yeah. yeah. Uh, usually those Top of the Pops compilation albums yeah. in the 70s and 80s, didn't they? With, with saucy women on the front. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a big but favourite. They weren't actually by the artist who recorded these hit singles, they're by. Um, yeah, uh, anonymous. Anonymous, yeah. Bland session. Session music. What? Well, you say anonymous, but people like. Bowie and David Bowie and people like Elton John uh, recorded some of those. Really? Yeah, to, oh, you know, as brilliant. a sideline to make. Fantastic. 
money, you know. That's amazing. Do we know which ones? Um, yeah, Barry did. Um, Barry does Penny Ling. No. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. What an excellent good, fact. Good version. Yeah. Which album's that on? I've got to find it. Um, I've got it on Are CD. You? <laughs> so, uh, we'll put a copy. Um, we'll yeah. put. We'll. Um, we'll include it on the show. Jeremy yeah. recommends. Okay. David Bowie's <laughs> Top of the Pops records. Marvelous. <laughs> Hello, 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 hello. This sounds okay, looks like a good signal. This is how close I am. R.I.P. Uh, dork. Dork? Yeah, from the monkeys. Is he dead? Yeah. What's Tork. 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 Dork. <laughs> I'm so sorry, yeah. As he, no, he was called Dork by um, Captain Beefheart, probably. <laughs> he probably was. What was his name? Peter Tork. Peter Tork. He's Peter dead. Tork. Peter Tork died today, so this show's for him. Really? Um, You're not going to do that. Sit down here and talk sensibly now. Abdefkish kulnap krista bukshiz. What was that? It's the alphabet. Abdefkish kulnap krista bukshiz. I don't believe a thing you're saying. Peter? There's not much to believe that's true. What's the most bread you ever made in your life? I once got scale. Playing in a joint? Yeah, playing for a, a joint, yeah. And you never got, you never got like, you know, like overscale in your life before? Uh, no, I've never got over scale. Right, now, truly, why? Why do you want to be a monkey? Well, it's my natural inheritance. <laughs> I mean, that's life. Being a TV star, has that ever occurred to you, man? Like, we fished you out of nowhere. <laughs> that's true. What I'm eternally grateful, too. <laughs> well, I, I'll do anything. anything. Hey, Peter, uh, where are you from originally? Washington. How'd you get out here? Um, <clears throat> it wasn't easy. No, tell me what It was a 47 Chevy, okay. most of the way. Anything frantic happened on the way out? Uh, well, it blew. Whereabouts? Just outside of Las Vegas. It took all of Las Vegas with it. You may have heard about it. It was the major catastrophe of the, of the century. <laughs> Something matter with your mouth. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It cost right, me $500 no, for the nose. Do guys look at you and say, hey, what are you doing with the long hair and all that? No, but they often say, hey! <laughs> I'm ashamed of my fellow man to tell you what my fellow man actually says to me on the street. Do you know that... What do they say to you? Joe Beetle! <laughs> Joe Beetle! Just because I... Do they realize that since history, our founding fathers wore their hair long, Columbus wore his hair long, and... <laughs>